folks. Welcome to another edition of the CIC cast. We didn't quite stick to our schedule. I don't think we stuck to the every other week, but we are back with another summer podcast. So we're not taking the entire summer off as I think I may have done last year. And we're actually inching towards our 100th episode of the CIC cast, which, uh, we're going to have to do a, a big blowout with candles or something here in the office. I don't know. We'll have to figure out uh, maybe a poll to, to see who should be on the 100th, uh, what guests we should have for the 100th podcast. But we'll uh, we'll deal with that later. Right now, we've got an excellent episode for you. Um, we're really excited about this one. Going to be talking to a few folks, and uh, and I hope this doesn't feel a little... Uh, a little bit of a downer, but we're going to talk about some interesting uh, some topics that maybe aren't the most uplifting topics in the world. But we're going to have Tom Pinsons from uh, Central Connecticut State University. Uh, he is uh, something of an expert. We won't say expert because uh, you'll hear in the conversation he doesn't uh, doesn't like that term. But it's some uh, has someone who's become prominent uh, when discussing social media habits, uh, particularly of high school athletes. So. We're going to talk to Tom about some of the high-profile incidents that have been happening uh, around uh, inappropriate use of social media. And then we're going to bring on uh, one of our more frequent guests, Dave Rudin from therudinreport.com. Going to talk to him about a couple issues. He did a big series on parental interference in the world of high school sports. Uh, going to talk to him about some of the findings, uh, some of the interesting things he discovered uh, on that story, uh, and maybe a few other topics with Dave as well. So uh, that's uh, that's what's on the agenda for this week. So we'll have Tom Pinsons and Dave Rudin coming up in just a little bit, talking about uh, social media parental interference, and some other topics around the world of high school sports. So maybe not the most uplifting uh, conversations this week, but uh, certainly important ones uh, for athletes, for coaches, for parents. We hope you'll uh, hope you'll listen in uh, uh, to the conversations and uh, think a little bit about these topics and, uh, and hopefully make some good choices uh, yourselves, whether you're a parent, a coach, or a student athlete uh, in the world of social media or in the world of, uh, you know, maybe getting involved in uh, in high school athletics. So that's what we've got coming up this week. Uh, as I said, we, uh, we're excited to uh, be with you. Not uh, not backing off too much during the summer here, and we got uh, the, the calendar has flipped to August, so we know that uh, the fall practice season will be here before you know it, but uh, we've managed to not uh, totally hibernate during the summer here on the CIC cast, still hopefully bringing you some good conversation about the world of high school sports. So as always, we hope you will uh, check out the CIC cast. You can subscribe on iTunes, uh, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you do subscribe on iTunes, I uh, hope you'll rate us and leave us a review there. That would be great. It's nice to know uh, what folks are thinking and how we're doing here. Certainly subscribe there. You can also uh, find us on CIACsports.com. There's a specific link there for CIC cast. You can find all the episodes there as well. Of course, we hope you will uh, follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports, social media, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. We also have an Instagram account at CIAC Sports, starting to try to get that fired up, maybe uh, planning a little uh, a little training camp tour uh, in the coming weeks here once fall practices get underway, maybe travel around the state and try to capture some interesting images and conversations from, uh, from around the state of Connecticut. So follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, that's where we'll be posting all of that uh, content as we move forward. And, of course, CIACsports.com has all of the information uh, from the CIAC uh, that you will need as you get ready for the fall sports season. And let's uh, quickly do something. Oh, and also, I always forget our email address. Uh, you can contact us, CIACCAST, that's C-I-A-C-C-A-S-T, at C-A-S-C-I-A-C dot O-R-G. 
that's a way to reach out to us. If you've got a topic or a guest that you think we should uh, consider for a future episode, going to try to stick to our every other week posting schedule. But uh, before we get to our guests, let's quickly run through some things you might have missed on CIC Sports. We have tried to keep things busy there as well, keeping uh, information coming for those of you who are uh, looking for things to, uh, to read and digest during these summer months. We uh, just posted something yesterday. Uh, annual Girls Sports Symposium at the Connecticut Open. That's a great opportunity for uh, for coaches and teams of, uh, of female athletes to uh, to engage in a, in a meaningful discussion at the Connecticut Tennis Open uh, in Yale. There's information there. Registration uh, deadline is coming up. I believe it is the uh, 13th of August, so a week and a half uh, or so from um, – uh, the registration deadline there. So hope folks will check that out. Uh, we've got a post for uh, rule changes for CI for NFHS uh, high school sports um, that will be put in place for the 2018-19 season. We got a post there. It's got all of them, uh, all the ones that are coming. So all the sports uh, in one place. We just updated that with uh, rule changes for girls lacrosse coming in uh, the spring, and that one got a little bit of uh, publicity as uh, folks were excited about the uh, the change to the restart rules. Um, so check that out. Out as well, and then we did a fun, uh, fun little thing. Um, I think we announced this the last time that maybe it was coming. We did. Uh, we helped opened up fan voting for the top CIAC championship moment, as uh, as provided by the NFHS Network. We streamed NFHS Network streamed about 55 uh, championship events this year. I'm doing that number off the top of my head, uh, and we picked 20 finalists. We opened it up to a vote. There was a poll on the uh, CIACsports.com. Also, uh, fans could vote uh, through social media, and we did a little story about the top five uh, in the fan voting. A little story about each of them, uh, culminating with the victor which was the uh, the closing seconds of the class l boys lacrosse final with ridgefield earning the title in that one so check out hope you'll check out all those stories they're a lot of fun to write always a lot of fun to go back through the school year you kind of forget some of the great moments uh that we were able to bring courtesy of the nfhs network so hope you will check that out as well if you search uh hashtag ciac moments vote uh, on Twitter or Instagram, you'll see all of the uh, the 20 nominees along with some posts there as well. So check that out. Uh, really enjoyed writing those up. We've also got a couple linked ups, of course, every uh, roughly every Friday or so. We may fall off a little bit off schedule during the summer, but that's uh, that's all there as well on CIAC Sports. Com. So just a few of the things to uh, to keep you busy. Really hope you'll check out that moment's vote. It was a lot of fun uh, and did some hopefully some fun little blurbs and stories about the uh, the top five. Some really spectacular plays and moments. Uh, we had some great championship games uh, and finishes to championship games uh, last year that uh, maybe you had forgotten about. It's a long school year and uh, it's easy to lose track of some of the great moments. So. All of that said, let's quickly uh, we'll move on to our guest. But before we do that, as always, a uh, message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation simply is that uh, you do not want to drive distracted. Uh, driving at 55 miles per hour, if you take your... Uh, if you take your eyes from the road for a uh, for an average of 4.6 seconds, that's how long it takes to read a text, to write a text. Uh, that's the le that's equivalent to driving the length of a football field blind. You know, it's funny. I got a, uh, was in the car the other day. Got a new. Uh, you know, new screen. This was not a uh, was not using my phone, but even just doing that for two seconds, you don't realize how long uh, your attention can uh, can waver. It's really, really important, folks. You got to keep your phones parked away. No texting or driving. No calling uh, unless you're using maybe your hands-free device. One text or call could wreck it all. It's not worth it. Put the phone away. You can press play on uh, whatever podcast you're listening to, even if it's not this one. I will forgive you. Please just put your phone away. Not worth putting yourself at risk or putting other people 
at risk. That's uh, the message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. With all that said, let's get to our guests. Some good conversations this week. As I said, covering some important topics, maybe not the most uh, upbeat topics in the world, but hopefully you'll enjoy these conversations. First up, you've seen his name a lot. Uh, this uh, this issue has been covered a lot in the uh, the last few weeks, uh, talking about responsible use of social media. Tom Pinsons from Central Connecticut State University. Happy to be on the phone now with Tom Pinsons, the uh, Director of Athletics Communications at Central Connecticut State and, and a very popular man around the state of Connecticut this week after uh, some hubbub erupted uh, concerning some inappropriate social media for professional athletes, and that's an area of, uh, of passion for Tom. So we wanted to bring him on to, to talk a little bit about this topic. Tom, thanks as always for being with me. Thanks for having me, Joel. I appreciate it. So for those who haven't been uh, following the news, uh, in the last couple of weeks there's been uh, uh, some instances of, of professional baseball players this time whose past uh, comments on social media that have been uh, sort of discovered and, uh, and brought to light. So Tom uh, ha- has made this an area of, uh, of particular passion for him. And so, Tom, I guess we'll just start out by saying, how did your sort of you know, work in this topic and, and in this area begin? What was the impetus for you to kind of... Uh, to have this be something that you wanted to, to take on and, and try to, uh, to work with kids on? You know, about five or six years ago, we had somebody come in and speak with our student-athletes at Central and, and discuss, you know, the safe use of social media. And at the time, you know, it was before Snapchat. It was really before Instagram. It, you know, she dealt a lot with Facebook. And, and when she was finished, we kind of, you know, me and my assistant at the time looked at each other and we thought, you know, we can do this. You know, this is something that we should be doing. So, we put together a, a presentation for our athletes. Uh, we started doing it, like I said, about five or six years ago and, and talking to our athletes about making good decisions. But one of the things we realized was that by the time they got to us, they already had those bad habits that were really tough to break. Mm-hmm. So we thought about that next step. Where could we go? Who could we talk to? Uh, and it started in with high schools and, and actually two of um, two of the first people ever to bring me in to talk and to really help me get started in this um, was Al Carbone, the uh, commissioner of the FCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go down and talk with the fall captains every year. We're going to do it again this year. Uh, and Dane Street, who at the time was the athletic director at Simsbury uh, and is now at Ridgefield. Yep. Uh, and I talked to, you know, we talked to Simsbury first and I've been down to Ridgefield to talk to his student athletes and parents and, and really get that message to those um, high school students and student athletes about making good decisions on social media. And then from there, it kind of took off uh, where, you know, a principal would come up and say, that's great that you talk to our student athletes, but I need you to talk to everybody. (laughs) Um, And we started talking to uh, entire high schools um, and high school populations. There would be, you know, I would spend entire mornings at high schools talking from ninth through 12th graders. And then when you finished in high school, there was a middle school principal in there who said, well, that'd be great, but how about you come and talk to our middle schoolers? Right. <laughs> so we've done that, um, done everything from student-athletes to parents, um, all the way down to elementary schools where I've actually talked to third, fourth, and fifth graders about making good decisions on social media. And one of the shocking things for me, and it's pretty hard to shock me at this point when it comes to social media usage, was when I asked a group of third graders how many of them use social media on a daily basis, and half of them raised their hand. Wow. And when I asked what was most popular, it was Snapchat. Oh. So, you know, it's we need to get to those kids when they're young. Yeah, help them understand. You know, it's about making. It's not about saying no. It's not about 
don't use social media. It's about learning to use it safely and effectively and responsibly and making good decisions. Because when we talk to those groups, elementary schools and middle schoolers, you know, we're not necessarily giving the same message that we're giving those athletes to say, you know, don't say something um, that'll come back to haunt you later. We're talking to those groups about privacy and safety and knowing who follows you on social media. And it's the, you know, you don't talk to strangers, but it's taking it to a different digital level um, that we're concerned with with kids that age. So it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Uh, when stuff like this happens, especially when it's a, a local athlete, mm-hmm. it picks up even more. Um, and as we get ready for the fall, as I mentioned, and we'll do the FCC Captain's Clinic. Um, I have done um, a presentation to CIDC student-athletes in the past at yep. AquaTurf. Um, so, you know, it's it picks up during this time. Um, that's how it started. It kind of steamrolled into something I never imagined would happen. <laughs> um, and the, the one thing that I always say when I go to speak is I don't like when people use the word expert because I don't think it's possible in this case because things change so quickly and so rapidly and so often that, you know, we have to stay on top of this every day. So yeah. for me, it's for me it's also very personal. Um, I have three daughters. They're 14, 12, and 9. Um, and if the more I can learn about this and understand about it, the safer I can keep them, you know, on social media. That's really, you know, what it's about for me. And if I can go about and, and talk to a few other kids and, and help them understand the importance of making those good decisions, then, then that's a bonus for me. Yeah. Um, so you talked about it, you know, and I won't, uh, obviously you, you're very experienced, uh, you know, with the presentation and I won't make you, uh, kind of dive into the whole thing, but you know, if you sort of given me the, uh, you know, the elevator pitch of what you're trying to, and obviously you say, you know, you, you have to cater the message a little bit to, to what group you're speaking to, but what is the, you know, the sort of the, the main thrust of what you're trying to share or, or sort of the advice and, and, um, and perspective that you try to give these kids when, when you talk about, uh, the decisions that they have to make, uh, in regard to social media we, we try not to harp on on the negative side of things um, because a lot of times you know we'll, people will stand up in front of kids and say no 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 or yeah. don't 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 um, you know I will show examples of people who, who did some some bad things on social media that has hurt them and and you know come back to haunt them eventually um, but we try to focus on the, the positive side of things what they can do to help brand themselves with regards to social media uh, to make them a you know, student or student-athlete that at college would be excited to have on their team, excited to be a part of their program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things they can do, to, you know, to help, you know, boost, you know, what schools may may think of them and, and you know, want them to come there and, and be a part of that program. For, for someone who's not a student-athlete, um, you know, using social media platform can help with college admissions. Um, if college admissions officers are looking for you or, or – get that little extra about you and they go on social media and they see that, you know, that you do community service every week and, you know, here's what you do and here's how you, how you, you know, boost your resume a little bit because it's really what their social media is, their digital resume and they're, they're putting things out there every day. And you know, our, my daughter doesn't communicate with her friends by making a phone call. She does it by Snapchat, yep. you know, or they jump on some other social media platform and they, they put that stuff out there. So they're, they're creating that, digital resume that follows them and and hopefully we're getting them to make good decisions when it comes to doing that and not you know 
it's hard because they, they want to post things so quickly. Yeah. And they want to respond so quickly. And sometimes they don't think about everything that they're putting up there. You know, I say all the time in my presentations that if, if we had had social media when I was playing college football, I probably wouldn't be where I am today because we did a lot of stupid things. Sure. Um, but there wasn't somebody there to document everything that we were doing with a camera or a video camera or to take a screenshot. You know, I, you know, I give an example of a, a student athlete that played for my older brother. My older brother, Chris, is the head coach at the University of New Haven. Mm-hmm. So at the time, he was the offensive coordinator at Elon University. And he had a student athlete who did something on social media that he shouldn't have. But he, and when he responded to, you know, a lack of playing time, he did it on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, because it was so public and because it was so, at that moment, it went viral. You know, and it became a huge problem for me, for yeah. him. Well, when I was playing, I was upset about playing time at one point, too. And I'm convinced that if we had social media at the time, that I may have done the same thing. But I didn't. You know, and that's the difference between the student-athletes right now and the student-athletes when I was playing, is that outlet, that public outlet that they have, yep. that they need to think and understand you know, what can happen if they don't think before they post. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, and, and the, you know, obviously, as I said, you know, the, the high-profile cases this week and one of them with the a Connecticut connection, so you've been talking to a lot of folks. One of the things that I think, uh, um, you know, really stood out to me in some of the interviews you said is that, you know, you uh, the the I'm not sure maybe students understand and you're sort of trying to work with them to understand is that the, you know, whatever they th- whatever context they may think they're posting in, uh, you know, or, or describing on social media, you know, that... It, the context can easily be lost. So, you know, some of these profile, you know, high profile cases have been, you know, people, you know, quoting rap lyrics or music lyrics or quoting movies or things like that, or, you know, just just what they think they're commenting to their friends or replying to something that their friends are saying. But it's interesting, you know, that as you sort of talk about that, you know, when if someone was going back and looking at those to, to not have the context or that maybe the context isn't clear uh, can create such a problem. Is that something that you sort of uh, have found is that, that maybe this, that's where the students get themselves in trouble is that they think, you know, they think they're being clear and that the, you know, if they're doing it within a context that, that makes sense to them, that it couldn't possibly, you know, uh, upset anybody else. Is that something you've come across a lot? Absolutely. You know, you're leaving that message up to the interpretation of the reader. Um, and we've all sent emails where we attempted to be sarcastic and maybe <laughs> it didn't come across that way, right? So you can't hear the tone of the voice. You don't know the situation um, that they're in. You don't know the conversation that's going back and forth. And you may see the last tweet in a series of 30 tweets that went back and forth between two people. So you're only seeing the last one. It doesn't excuse the language. It doesn't excuse the derogatory terms. You know, it doesn't excuse the... Um, the behavior or, you know, racist or homophobic behavior that we see from some of this. Um, But, you know, we don't necessarily know that context. But what I continually tell the students that we talk to all the way down to elementary school is if you and your parents decide that you're responsible enough to have that device and to have those social media accounts, you need to be responsible enough to make good decisions. And that's hard for a middle school student. You know, it's it's easy when you're sitting by yourself and posting something on social media, but when you put a group of four or five or six, you know, young girls or young boys together, you know, that group mentality takes over, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're posting things that you wouldn't normally do. And, yeah. 
you know, we saw it last summer. There was a, a travel softball team that was uh, thrown out of a tournament because six or seven of the girls um, gave the middle finger to on a Snapchat post, and they posted it to what they thought was a pr- private group. Well, someone took a screenshot of it, and someone saved that photo, and they eventually got kicked out of the tournament because of it. Yep. Um, so, you know, we see that group mentality take over a little bit where, you know, you wouldn't necessarily make that decision if you're by yourself, but with the group, you know, you may kind of change the tune a little bit and put something up there that you wouldn't normally do. And again, you're leaving that entire interpret- interpretation of everything that you do up to the reader. And that's why you need to you know, be careful about things that you put up there. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about sort of the, you know, the uh, the peer a- element of this, which I think obviously is, you know, is creates a lot of the, the challenges, as you said. Have you sort of found or, or talked, uh, you know, as part of your presentation that, you know, and just kind of reading a lot of different things on, on this topic and as, you know, as these issues bubble up and kind of come to the fore, you know, was seeing a lot of things that sort of said, you know, that in the the peer, you know, sort of peer pressure, such as for lack of a better word, can also be a positive in this way, you know, that you need, you know, maybe you need your friends to, to say, hey, that was a stupid thing you posted. Why don't you take it down? You know, or things like that. Is that something that you've come across that, or, you know, that maybe you talk about that the need for sort of, you know, your to not only police yourself, but uh, police your friends a little bit and, and use, you know, some of that positive peer pressure to maybe uh, help your friends make better decisions. Yeah, I would, I would hope that that message is getting across. I'm not sure how much it does. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very hard to, do the right thing and, and stand up for what you believe in um, when you have a you know that peer pressure that you mentioned or that group of people that are together. Uh, it's very difficult, just like it's very difficult for students who are being um, cyberbullied to let a trusted adult know that they're being cyberbullied. Mm-hmm. So the statistic that we talk about when I give my presentation is that one in ten students who are being cyberbullied will actually tell a trusted adult that it's happening, yeah. um, which is very difficult when, mm-hmm. you, when you look at that. And that's, unfortunately... You know, bullying has gone to a whole new level when you when you talk about digital devices and social media and what our kids aren't allowed to do that we were is is to kind of turn themselves off. So we talk about taking this play off, meaning you know when you're upset about something or when you're when you're you know don't think you're going to make a good decision, put your phone down and walk away. Right. Um, you know, and it's our you know our athletic example of taking a play off because these kids always have to be on. When they leave school, you know, when I left school, middle school, you didn't see some of those kids till the next day. Yeah. Um, but now, you don't have that opportunity. Everything you do is documented. You know, every mistake you make, someone's waiting to take a picture or to put it on video. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, they don't have that opportunity. But I think making the right decision is always harder than making the wrong one. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, we're we're seeing more and more that's the case. I'll uh, I'll let you try to, or maybe hopefully we'll we'll, we'll find out with your answer, but uh, end on a little bit of a brighter note. I guess I'm wondering, you know, it, it, and I've again, you know, sort of heard the discussion of this with these, uh, you know, the these more high profile uh, individuals who have gotten in some trouble recently. Um, I'm wondering if you feel like things are getting better. You know, I, I know the you know there's a lot of talk about sort of the the climate sometimes online and in social media is not getting better. But I'm wondering if if as kids are getting more and more used to this, you know, yeah, you know, we have a generation of kids now that you're probably dealing with in college who have had these social media platforms essentially probably their you know their entire uh, you know digital lives, so to speak. I'm wondering if you're getting the sense that kids are starting to 
to to recognize more the you know the sort of pitfalls that are that are there um, or or maybe not and it's still all, I mean I know it's always going to be a challenge but I'm wondering if you're getting a sense that they're starting to at least understand more and more what uh, you know what could befall them if they're not behaving responsibly. I think I think they understand. I think you always have that that group that's going to think you know that they're they're bulletproof and, sure. and untouchable and and um, you know that that no mistake they make is going to make a difference or, or that they know best. Um, you know, I always make the joke that here I am, the old guy, trying to talk to you guys about social media. Um, but, you know, we're seeing it happen more and more, but it's like because of what you said, this group of professional athletes that are 20 to 25 have had social media forever. Yeah. You know, the group before them did not. So you're not going to see things from that group come out. Um because they didn't have it at the time, or they learned to use it when they got older, yeah. uh, and they were making better decisions at that time. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one story, and because sometimes, sometimes these presentations go really well, mm-hmm. um, and you have an interactive group who understands, who asks great questions. Sometimes they don't go well because you have a group that, again, thinks they know all the answers, like to be disruptive, um, you know, like to chime in to the old guy that's talking about social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recently gave a talk, um, and I can't remember what, what high school it was at. It was this past spring. Uh, and that night, um, I got an email from a student from that school um, who had just heard me talk for the third time. <laughs> so whether he was at a camp or a you know, CIAC event or the SCC captain's clinic or, or wherever, um, he had just heard me talk for the third time. And he wrote me a few paragraphs explaining how he was a student or, you know, a student athlete who didn't understand, you know, the issues that could come along with it. Yeah. And he went into detail and explained about how it changed the way he thinks about it and how he now uses it, you know, for positive reinforcement, to promote his brand, to help his school, to help his program, um, and how just hearing me talk and give some of the examples of people who made bad decisions had helped him and had helped his friends you know, understand the, the power of that social media. Because that's what we talk about is, is the power of it, both positive and negative. Sure. You know, it's easy to throw out 20 negative stories and say, here, look at Ryan Lockie and what he did, you know, a week or two ago and got himself suspended because of a picture he posted on Instagram. Yep. Um, but, you know, there are so many positive sides of things when you look at things like the Ice Bucket Challenge and um, things like J.J. Watt and the money he raised for the Houston um, victims mm-hmm. last year and that power of social media. And, you know, we have somebody who works here at CCSU, um, Nelva Marquez-Green, um, who is the mom of a, of a young girl who was killed at Sandy Hook, who has used social media and her Anna Grace project to promote this this theme of love wins. And it's absolutely amazing sure. to see what happens just, you know, through social media and how she puts things out there. So the power that comes with that and the responsibility that comes with that is huge, and I think that our students and our kids are starting to understand that. Yeah, no, it's uh, and and as you say, it's sometimes maybe it'll take more than the uh, the first time they somebody hears it. Uh, take the second time, the third time, and uh, and kids are still going to you know make mistakes, but hopefully we can work to uh, 
to, to, to minimize those and make them less and less frequent. And as you say, you know, this is not just a, a student athlete issue. This is a, a student issue. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, a kid issue. It's a, a person issue and uh, adults can be susceptible to, uh, to terrible decisions as well. So there, there's a lot to learn uh, in, in this platform. So we, uh, we appreciate it, Tom. Don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, you've been a, a much, much sought after gentleman this week. And uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us. And I'm sure many of uh, our student athletes and coaches will, uh, will hear you in person uh, as they make their way through the, uh, the world of high school athletics. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joel. Thanks to Tom for uh, taking a little time. As I said, uh, when he was joking that uh, when this happens, he suddenly starts getting phone calls from all kinds of people who want to, his uh, his perspective on these things. And uh, he's, he's covered it a lot. He's put in a lot of work uh, to try to understand the problem and to try to be a positive messenger uh, to, to kids. And, uh, and he does a wonderful job. So we appreciate him taking a few minutes to chat with us about it. Coming up next, therudenreport.com uh, is his website. He is Dave Rudin, and he uh, is deeply invested in the world of high school sports in the state of Connecticut and Fairfield County. We love getting him on the phone. We're going to talk a little bit about a couple different topics here uh, as we go through the summer. Dave Rudin from therudenreport.com. So one of the things we like to do during the summer is uh, is try to hit on some different topics now that we don't have standings and game results and all that kind of stuff to talk about. And uh, and one of our favorite guests to bring on to, to talk about maybe some bigger picture things is Dave Rudin of therudinreport.com. Dave, as always, we appreciate you uh, taking a little time to, uh, to join the CIAC cast. Joel, thanks a lot. Always a pleasure to be with you. All right, so uh, the, the, the big topic, and it's one that's gotten a lot of attention, I would say, probably in maybe the, the, the tail end of the high school sports season this year, um, and, and one that Dave uh, did a wonderful uh, series of features on and, and podcasts on, which I hope folks will check out, is, is this idea of the, the ever-increasing uh, parental interference in the world of high school sports, um, you know, particularly in the, in the way that they interact with coaches. So, Dave, I'll just sort of open it up to you and uh, – and and give a, let you give you know a little bit of perspective on on what you um, you know what your feature what your stories were were about what you were kind of hoping to uh, to accomplish with uh, with with covering this topic. Yeah, it, it was a big thing I wanted to work on because there are a lot of incidents uh, starting in January with several prominent coaches leaving their jobs, resigning their positions, and the reason was parental interference. And it happened in Wilton with Bruce Cunningham, the football coach. It happened at Staples with Paul McNulty, the boys lacrosse coach, two highly respected coaches. And it got to the point there were things going on behind the scenes or demands being made or inappropriate measures that were taking. And it really showed a lack of respect for the coaches and really compelled them to feel that they couldn't stay in their positions anymore. And it's, it's just really sad when you have these coaches who get paid very little and get into their positions because of really a love of working with kids, trying to help them become the best that they can be, no different than what teachers do in the classroom just in another environment mm -hmm. and all these all these coaches are, are just feeling compelled to leave something that they really love to do and so i wrote a couple of stories uh that were pretty much well received except from the people who commented were who were probably the people i was writing about <laughs> and i did funny how that works i did a, 
yeah, you know, that was a real big surprise to me. And then, you know, what really hit home were I did a three-pod cast series, and I wanted to talk to a parent, I wanted to talk to an athletic director, and I wanted to call, I'll talk to a coach. And so Steve Phillips, uh, Major League Baseball analyst, has four sons that either played or are currently playing at Wilton High. So I thought he would give an interesting perspective, especially because if anybody, you know, could feel they could uh, have their say and step over the line. Sure. You know, Steve, with his baseball expertise in particular, I mean, he's never once gone up to Wilton baseball coach Tim Egan and told them what to do. So I thought he was good, especially because he had some marquee value to his name and a lot of insight on different levels. And then Doug Marchetti, the Norwalk athletic director, who's one of the most respected athletic directors in the FCAC and in the state, and rightfully so. And then the podcast that absolutely went wild is the one I did with Lisa Lindley, the Darien girls lacrosse coach, mm-hmm. from the coach's perspective. And as soon as I realized I was going to do the podcast series, I knew Lisa was going to be the person I was going to put on because she's extremely outspoken. Uh, she's as, as every coach, and I can't tell you how many other FCI coaches in different sports commented to me about her podcast, but she basically said in a very outspoken way what every other coach wanted to say, wished they could say, but are too afraid to. Yeah. And that podcast is, I think, I haven't checked in a while, has had three times more listens than the next most popular podcast I've ever done. And I highly, highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in the subject of parental interference to give it a listen. Yeah. So what's, uh, you know, with obviously I'm sure with, with, you know, good conversations with three different folks on, you know, with different perspectives on this, uh, on this topic, but what, you know, if you sort of had the the big takeaway maybe from each of them, what what would you say it was? You know, from the parent uh, the perspective, the coach perspective, and the athletic dir- director perspective, what was sort of the big, you know, the the big takeaway uh, as you saw it from those conversations? Well, num- number one, uh, parents are just stepping over the line for a variety of reasons, and they just think it's their right to be able to dictate what coaches do from everything from strategy to playing time. And I try to stress, too, because this has become a growing problem, it seems it, it, it's such a hot topic and it gets so much publicity mm-hmm. that it almost seems like every parent is doing that, and that's certainly not the case. Right. Uh, 90, 95 to 98% of the parents are exactly what you want them to be. But what the two or three percent do are are just so far out of bounds. It makes the numbers involved look worse than they are. Sure. So uh, that that was the biggest one. Is just how frequent it's happening. And number two, what I really wanted to try to get to too is what is appropriate behavior. When when is it okay for a, a parent to go to a coach? And pretty much everybody agreed. You know, if there was a health concern involved, if there was a situation of uh, wondering if uh, a kid was being put in any sort of danger or any situation where injury could occur. That's the right way to go about it. But really, there's a protocol, and it's really supposed to go from the athletic director to higher up if it gets to be a serious problem. Uh, the big issue being what a parent sees as being a serious problem 
isn't really a serious problem most of the time. It's usually about their kids' playing time or fear that they're not in the right position and worried that eventually this is going to cost them possible scholarships or looks from college or maybe uh, at the dinner party the parents not going to get to brag about their kids in the way they would like to. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, you talked about the, the, the sort of feeling that this is a growing problem. Was that the sense that, you know, it's interesting because obviously in, a, in our organization here, we have a lot of, you know, former coaches, former athletic directors, people who have been in this business a long time. And they talk about, you know, that they all have these stories of, you know, parents who have done ridiculous things and, uh, you know, and they're not, not recent stories, you know, many of them from, from you know, decades ago or, or at least a decade ago. But I'm curious in the conversations, did, have you – did those folks suggest that uh, um, that things are, you know, escalating to, to some degree, that it's getting more, fr- whether it's more frequent or, or maybe it's over things that, that, that are, you know, would not have been brought to them before? But was that the sense that you got that this does seem to be, you know, raising in frequency? Oh, yeah. Every, everybody agrees it's, it's a big problem. And in one of my columns, I suggested I, I really believe schools have to review their their policies, and I think there have to be exact guidelines. Really, teams or athletic directors should be meeting with parents, and a lot of them do at the beginning of the year, and really set out what is appropriate behavior and what isn't. When when is it right for a parent to talk directly to a coach? When is it out of bounds? And I think it needs to it needs to be defining. I think schools really just have to review their own policies and how they're handling this because I know a lot of coaches just feel like their administrations don't have their backs. And really, if you have a strong administration and you 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 push back on, on these parents, I, I think the problem would, would start to go away. The numbers would reduce. But I know a lot of coaches in private tell me that they think administrations are afraid of the parents and thus don't want don't want to deal with it. Yeah, no, I think that's probably, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we, we certainly, you, you see a lot of good athletic directors and a lot of good principals, but yeah, there, there's, I think, and, and uh, you know, I, I saw, I, I waded into the comments a little bit on some of your, on some of your pieces and, you know, the things that you would see sometimes would say, you know, well, no one would do this to the, to the math teacher, uh, but I think the reality is that that's part of the problem is that people do do this with the math teacher uh, as well. You know, the parent that's overly involved or or maybe uh, beyond the line in in the athletic realm might be beyond the line in another academic realm as well. So the, so it's harder for the administration to, to stamp out every, uh, you know, every situation of this, but, uh, but certainly your point is, is well made that, uh, the clearer the policy, the clearer the, uh, the protocol is, is probably a good, uh, a good place to start. I'm curious, uh, you know, in the just, conversation. Just, and, and it's just, just, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, no, but sure. on that point, number one, you know, what you said is true and, and it's something uh, when I said it's not being done to, to the math teacher, you know, the one thing that I learned from working on this is that that's not the you know that's the case is that parents are also interfering in academics as well as athletics, and you probably don't hear about it as much because success in the classroom doesn't get the publicity that success on the playing field does. I think the one difference, though, is the parents aren't looking to get the teachers fired and the 
in, in the classroom, but they're looking to get the coaches fired. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think also probably just, uh, you know, exposure to the, you know, the coaches are, are have much more exposure to the parents than certainly, you know, a teacher would. The, the parents aren't in school every day, but they see the coach, you know, out at the game and have access to them in a way that they don't, uh, you know, with people that are in the school building. Um, I'm curious Excellent if... point. That's exa- I'm sorry, that's, that, that's, that's exactly what it is. And it's really telling to me, uh, the Wilton boys basketball coach, I'm sorry, the Wilton girls basketball coach stepped down last week and actually got his dream job to work at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Notre Dame the college and at high school. And, uh, but it was really interesting that when I, you know, put out the news that he had resigned, I got a few people right away saying, uh, no, the parents are running out another good coach. And, once people saw why why he was leaving, there was like oh, it was relief. I I thought the parents had uh, gone after and run out another good person. Yeah, no, and it's interesting. And this is uh you know be a sort of a, a side. Uh but it's interesting to me, and, and, you know, this is obviously something that the CIC is, uh, you know, is heavily involved in. But, you know, reading your pieces and listening to the podcast, you know, a lot of the conversations uh, about the coaches, the, the same uh, conversations can be applied to the officials as well, which is another, uh, you know, considerable area of, uh, of concern is there's a real shortage of officials um, you know, who want to be involved in high school sports at this point, uh, more nationwide than in Connecticut. Connecticut hasn't felt the, the, you know, the real shortage that some of our, uh, our fellow states have, but that's a, uh, it's interesting, you know, that, that these, as we're sort of talking about with the math teacher or whatever else, that these, these problems aren't limited to specific areas. Unfortunately, they can kind of branch out into, uh, into the whole of, uh, of athletics and, and create some real problems. Yeah. It's a nation. It's definitely a nationwide issue. It's not, just uh, a Fairfield County issue or a Connecticut issue. It's it's definitely nationwide. And uh, the New York Times did uh, a couple of good pieces, and one was how in certain areas officials are, are being attacked and, and physically endangered, and it has caused a lot of possible and, and aspirant uh, officials, aspiring officials, to not uh, not pursue a job that they would like to do because. They don't want to go out in the field and be heckled the whole time. Yeah, it's nope. a thankless job, as as we all know. Yep, no question about it. I'm curious, and uh, uh, you know, and and this is not to suggest that that this is where the solution lies, but as you know, we talk about problems, we hopefully can try to find, you know, or at least uh, hint at some solutions. Um, I, I'm wondering if you got a sense, or or if any somebody anybody sort of discussed with you, you know, the idea that. As you said, these are, are are a massive minority of parents. You know, this is not you know the this is not a majority problem. It's a it's a vocal minority problem. Uh, I'm wondering if you sort of heard any talk about you know the the need, unfortunately, for the parents that are doing things right, um, you know, to to exert a little peer pressure. Uh, you know that maybe that that's a way that uh, you know this certainly is not going to clear up all these problems and and may not you know solve a lot of things. But I wonder if that's a, a an avenue that uh, you know it's it's probably not a comfortable one necessarily, but where, you know, maybe uh, parents would respect or, or at least uh, 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 appreciate some of their, their fellow parents kind of, you know, stepping in and maybe saying that what they're doing is over the line. Is that something anybody talked about, or is that, uh, you know, the feeling that maybe the, the, the folks wouldn't listen to their to their peers? It, it, that, that's not anything that ever has been touched upon or any – nobody really brought that up, and, and my guess is, I don't. I don't think any parent, with a couple of exceptions, would really feel comfortable yeah. 
getting in, in the face of another parent, and it could just cause issues that could have a ripple-down effect to the team. If you, if you have some parent that made some suggestions to a parent stepping over the line and it leads to animosity and problems and uh, <laughs> something that physical, I, I wouldn't rule anything uh, in, in all that we read about these days, anything from happening. But sure. I, I think it's a risk-reward thing. There's too much risk of something bad coming out of that means of trying to solve the problem than possible rewards. Yeah, no, you're probably right. It's just always, you know, again, you sort of try to find uh, try to find uh, solutions to these things that that uh, is uh, you know becoming an issue. So I'll kind of let you uh, let you we'll we'll switch topics after this question maybe here. But what what if uh, you know what is your discussion and, and kind of coverage of this issue, this issue has it brought forward? Have you heard or seen any sort of uh, you know developments that that schools might be looking at for the fall or or kind of talking about uh, or whether it's coaches or anything? I'm just curious if you've sort of seen any movement or any progress um, coming as sort of a result of your uh, your coverage and, and discussion of this topic. I haven't seen any movement and. Again, we, we have to look into the fact that I did this series at the very end of spring sports season. Mm -hmm. So uh, I haven't really been in touch as much, obviously, with coaches, athletic directors, as I normally am during the school year. So I don't know if anything's being done. And again, I, I think a big part of the problem is just, I think that it all starts with the schools. I think it's really reached the point that the schools have to say, you know what, we have our coaches' backs, and, and they have to do an internal review of, of what's happening, why it's happening, and how that problem can be solved. They, they really need to support the coaches that are representing their schools. Yeah, no, I think that that's probably uh, the the bottom line is that the you know yeah there needs to be find ways to uh, to support these folks and uh, and and let them do their jobs as much as uh, as humanly possible. There's always going to be you know challenges. That I don't think uh, anyone's naive enough to think that these things are just going to go away. But uh, you, you're going to deal with issues, but hopefully find a way to uh, to give them the kind of support that they need. So. A, uh, a slight veer off in topic, but something else that Dave has written about that uh, has caught my eye, and in some ways it's a little bit related, I think, uh, you know, if you kind of dig deep enough, but that's um, talking about, you know, sort of the next level of, uh, of competition for a lot of these uh, standout high school athletes. And, uh, you know, we know we talk about there's a lot of focus and a lot of emphasis on trying to earn uh, college scholarships, but you've written some pieces and have mentioned, you know, the the idea that there's nothing uh, nothing wrong with uh, with moving on to compete at the college level in in divisions other than Division One, and maybe we become so fixated on uh, that Division One scholarship and that Division One level of competition that we minimize, uh, you know, the opportunities that are there for athletes to continue their 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 athletic careers at the at the other uh, college divisions. So uh, I know you wrote a piece about uh, uh, New Canaan lacrosse player, and it was about some recruiting things and other issues uh, uh, by the name of Campbell Armstrong. But I'm curious your sort of uh, take on this, having been involved, obviously, in high school sports for a long time and covered it. But, uh, you know, how we can kind of work to, to not uh, minimize those that go on to compete at, at maybe college levels other than Division One. Yeah, I guess that's probably one of my sports running pet peeves is when people look down on college athletes who are not playing at the Division One level and uh, you see, you see it a lot. I, I think sometimes, especially when you get to top athletes and 
and borderline Division One and Division Two, three athletes. I think Division One sometimes becomes a measuring stick, and I don't think that's really a fair thing to do. If you're playing Division One sports, obviously you're an elite athlete. But if you're playing Division Two and you're playing Division Three sports, you're also an elite athlete. Sure. And I, it just really bothers me, and, and and I do see it a decent amount where people just assume that Division One is the measuring stick and don't really give proper respect to college athletes at the Division Two and Division Three levels. And uh, I never tell, I, I never talk about how another person should live their life. I, everybody should follow their dream, and, and everybody has different priorities and goals. But I just hate to see when athletes sometimes feel that they have to overreach because they have to play at the Division One level. And I, I, I guess maybe I'm looking at it from my perspective. If I were an athlete, I would rather be on the Division Three team mm-hmm. and playing all the time than sitting on the bench at Division One. So it, it, it's a complicated issue because I can think of a couple of athletes, including one uh, prominent athlete right now, a, a couple actually from the SCX, who decided to go to Division One and uh, sat for a year or two, but worked hard and actually became key members of their team. So it, you know, it, the, the reverse is true in terms of people following their dreams to Division One and and getting the success that they do. I just uh, and and that's all great. I I just think we have to remember that if you're playing sports in college, you're a super athlete and. You know, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at. Yeah, no, that's uh, I, I think you're you're absolutely correct. You know, kids uh, should certainly uh, make whatever choice feels right for them. But uh, th- there's no need for any kind of uh, you know stigma or anything like that for for kids who feel that the Division three level, whether because of talent, whether because of uh, you know fit or, or comfort or anything like that, is uh, is the right choice for them. I, I come at this with a, a biased perspective. I went to a Division three school with a. Um, a very good athletics program, and then worked in uh, Division Three athletics for for ten years. So I'm uh, I, I admit my bias here, but uh, I've seen that those kids, and I'll tell you that there there's very little difference in terms of how hard they work and the commitment level uh, required to be a Division Three athlete. You know, the, it's it's not really a, a change. Uh, you know, in terms of. Uh, in terms of the amount of time and the amount of uh, effort that they put into their college uh, athletic experience. Uh, maybe the only difference is the, the number of people in the stands when they play on occasion, but uh, they're, they're, they're just as committed. And, and as you say, you're, if you're playing at the college level, you're, you're in a pretty elite subset, uh, regardless of whatever division it is. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I agree with you. And uh, I'm on my computer right here, just while, while you were saying that, and I'm looking at my alma mater, Union College, which is uh, a very good liberal arts Div- Division three school in upstate New York, and right now on the football team roster, there are seven FCAC athletes and another four or five from Connecticut on the team, so mm-hmm. it's actually been something that's kind of, to me, just because I went to Union, uh, it's kind of cool that it's really been a pipeline for a lot of FCAC athletes, and, and not just with football, but in a lot of sports. But, I mean, you see all these, these kids who are, and, and they're not only great athletes, they're great students, too. And they're going to, uh, many of them go to these top Northeast programs. Uh, I, I don't even want to just start naming schools, but there are so many of them. But, you know, they're in the, in the New England, Vermont, and uh, 
Maine, and uh, and some of them are going to Ivy. And uh, I mean, these these are kids that are going to go on and have real great memories from playing real tough competition in Division three sports. And they're getting great educations, and they're going to go on and be really successful people. Yep, no question about it. And uh, you know, the it, we talk about the you know uniqueness. Uh, you know, there's very few kids, whether you're going to Division One or not, who are going to be playing at the professional level. So ultimately, the uh, you know the next step after college is not really going to be any different uh, for you know for the vast vast majority of kids, whether you're playing in Division One uh, or Division Two II or Three. And uh, to your point, I worked at a, a school in Pennsylvania that had an elite. Um, girls volleyball program in division three and they would routinely play and beat division one programs so this is not a you know this is i'm not just this is not just a sales job the you know you can play at an elite level uh at division three schools and uh and compete against really really quality programs whether in division three or if the you know the school is particularly ambitious you can uh, get a chance to compete against some of those division one kids so there's uh there's a lot of good opportunity and and hopefully as you say the kids don't feel like they're uh they're pressured or, or sort of uh, peer pressured or whatever the pressure into uh, into to, to playing at a division or a level that isn't appropriate for them, whether because of fit or, or talent or anything else. Yeah, I, I I don't want to generalize, but I think sometimes the kids who are probably better suited for Division three and are are trying. To go Division One, or sometimes, or oftentimes, getting bad advice, and then uh, you, know, you have the people who go the post grad route, and some people go the post grad route, and, and it's a great path for them because it gives them another year to mature, mm-hmm. and it makes the difference between not getting looks and getting the opportunity to play sports at the, the at, at any level, and, and many of them, it's it's Division Two or Division Three, and and like you know, like we're talking about, that's great if that happens. But yeah. you know, there there are a lot of people also who go the post grad route because they're probably getting Division Three looks, and they want to try to get to Division One, and that's always been a mystery to me is why somebody would want to take a year of their life just to because it's that important to play Division One when, like you said. After college, that's the end of their athletic careers. Why, why not just enjoy playing great competition at the Division Two and Three levels right away? Yeah, no question about it. And uh, you know, in some ways, uh, uh, you know, I'll circle back to uh, you know, you talk about bad advice. You know, maybe uh, trust the trust the advice of uh, of your coach, your high school coach, who's probably going to be honest with you, and uh, you know, and, and let kids uh, and give kids information about what their best opportunity might be. So we'll uh, we'll circle back to that and uh, and talk about just how valuable those folks are and uh, in in the high school community. So Dave, we always appreciate it. You're uh, you're a busy man, even during the summer months, keeping things. Uh, there at the rudenreport.com and uh, we always appreciate you tackling some of these uh, some of these bigger issues because it gives us something to talk about during the summer so we appreciate it my friend and uh, be well and we'll we'll see you out on the uh, the football fields and the the soccer and uh, and field hockey fields before we know it in the fall yep Joel thanks for having me it's always a lot of fun you always ask good questions insightful questions and uh, doing these podcasts with you is always a lot of fun and listening to you and you have other guests as well 
thanks to Dave. Love getting on the phone with him. He's got a great perspective. He really digs into this stuff, and he's uh, got relationships with so many good folks down there in, uh, in Fairfield County, whether it's coaches, whether it's athletic directors, or whether it's the student-athletes themselves. Uh, he, he gets them to talk and, and gets perspective from them, so uh, check out all of his great work. Check out that series he did on parental interference. It's really interesting uh, uh, to, to see what kind of uh, what kind of topics and what kind of conversations uh, come out of that, and, and hopefully, as we talked about in the uh, the interview, we can move forward a little bit and, and start trying to come up with some solutions. I think we've we've talked about the problem and we've talked about the issue, but it's uh you know it's not one of these things that, that I think unfortunately just the more we talk about it, it the the solutions aren't going to magically appear. We got to continue to work to uh, to find some solutions and find some positive ways to uh, to to create a better experience for our high school athletes, and and that means uh, I think uh, letting their coaches coach. So hopefully that's a a message that will uh, will carry forward. So we thank Dave. We thank Tom Pinsons uh, very much for joining us as well. Some good conversations this week. As I said, hopefully we will be back uh, in another two weeks. Remember to uh, check out CIC Sports. Dot com. We're going to try to keep trying to post interesting stories, interesting news as we move towards the uh, the fall seasons. Believe it or not, they will be here before you know it. Remember to uh, su- subscribe or listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Stitcher. You can subscribe. Uh, make sure you don't miss an episode. Just subscribe to us there. If you do uh, subscribe on iTunes or on the, uh, the Apple Podcast, please rate us and leave us a review there. We would love that. And uh, check us out on social media, Twitter, at CIAC Sports. Instagram at CIAC Sports, Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. We're talking about trying to find some uh, some different things to do on some of those platforms as we move into the school year. The only way you will know if those happen is if you follow us there. So please uh, check that out and uh, and be sure to come back again when we return. Uh, we, we thank you very much for listening. Hope you'll be with us again when we come back for another edition of the CIAC Cast. <laughs>